Welcome back to the Night Shift Football Podcast. It's episode 134, and bloody hell, it was goals galore this week. Five at the Bridge, six at the Etihad, four down in Bournemouth, seven at Anfield, five for the home team at Turf Moor, but just one crucial goal at St. James. Yeah, here we are, back for another week, straight into it. Tommy's here, say hi. Hi. Trooper's here, say hi. Hi. Love that, short, sharp, shiny. Thanks for listening, see you next week. Um, Excellent. Before we jump into this week's games, if you're listening on Spotify or Apple, do us a favour, head on over, leave us a review or a rating, uh, then make your way over to social media where, uh, give us some follows, you know, Facebook, X, TikTok, we do have Insta, but I don't think anyone's posted on Insta for an eternity, but... You can follow it anyway. It's up to you, all right? Um, anything our listeners do to help support the pod, help us grow, we really appreciate it, okay? So also, if you're listening and you hear something you want to comment on or you want to voice something or you have any questions, uh, feel free to flick us a message or leave a comment on one of our posts. We'll uh, we'll address it in a show. We've had a few people message this week. Um, a lot of Adelaide United related that we'll get to later on in a red edition. Keep an eye out for that this week. Um, but let's jump into some Premier League games, yeah? Boys, we up for it? We good? Exciting week? Yeah, not as excited as you, but for real. Yeah, I was going to say, I fucking love it when Sammy takes the reins and he's just like, you know what? I'm going to let this roll. This is a huge run-up. Sam's excited for the Premier League season. Shout out to our run-up. Can you tell that that I got logged out of the Instagram and Tom's the only person with access? That's why nothing gets posted on there. Uh, Oh, That that makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. I was shadow banned for a long time of that. so that was me trying to make content as well. I don't know what you want. I I think um, if our listeners head over, we do have a website, nightshiftfootball.com. You can head over and see the various articles written by members of the Nightshift team and um, you can read all Tommy's work over there if you want to consume his content. Speaking of just, consuming, uh, all right. Publish all, the, publish all the drafts, Sammy. Publish all the drafts. Uh, that's No, there is not any in there. That's That's a joke. You are not. Come on. Come on, lift. Um, I'm going to start singing Shannon at you. You got to lift. That's enough <laughs> of that. Um, I'll be right. Premier League football. We'll jump straight into these games. I've This is probably the most uh, Premier League football I've consumed in a weekend so far this season. As you know, I love my Serie A and Bundesliga. I watch a lot of that. But this week, found myself wrapped up in a lot of the Premier League action. And what a week to, to be wrapped up in it. So many goals. We'll start with... Um, Arsenal against Wolves 2-1, uh, mainly just because I think we, we've we kind of glossed over Arsenal's last few results a bit. They do sit top. Their first 20 minutes in this game was scintillating and some of their best football, and then in typical Arsenal fashion, made it real nervy towards the end. They've won 6-0 in the Champions League last week against Lens. Are they a, are they a real threat? Are they a serious contender at the moment, Tommy? They have to be. Um, not only in the Champions League, because they are, I really liked that victory because um, it was against, was it Lons? Yeah. Yeah. Um, they kind of, Lons kind of let them play and they don't get that very often in the Premier League. And so when given the opportunity to do it, they just piled a bunch of goals on in the first half and showed, yeah, okay, look, you've realised in the Premier League now that you need to like show up against us and be really defensively sound and, go two on one on Saka and Martinelli and stuff like that. Like you can definitely tell teams have kind of figured out how to do it. 
Um, and it's only been very recently, I think, that Arsenal have started to show their title credentials in that they're getting the fluency back together up top while also keeping a defensive solidity, even though they did make it nervous in this one. Yeah, they do that. Um, I think like they, they've they kind of floated their way through the season and have gone under the radar uh, with only the one loss. But uh, to be two points clear, it just surprises me. Maybe that's just my pessimism as an Arsenal fan coming out. Um, I wonder Cooper, what I feel I like you're Cooper... the same about Liverpool and you're just your pessimism, but I don't know how you feel about Arsenal. Mm, I was going to say, I wonder what Cooper thinks. Like maybe they've been um, not, you know, as entertaining as last season or as like exciting or in your face. And so that's why they've flown yeah. under the radar because they've just been sorting out the very fundamentals that maybe stopped them from winning the title last season, um, which is like a defensive soundness that they finally found. And so they can get it clicking. Yeah, um, I think the way that I would describe this Arsenal squad at the moment is is they've, they've grown up a little bit in comparison to to where they were at last year. Um, like you said, Tom piled on goals in, in the first half of the Champions League during the week, but then you know, Arteta as well made a few changes, but the squad in itself sat off and just relaxed a little bit. And I think whether people love it or hate it, part of growing up in a professional footballing world where you're playing 70 to 80 games or, or whatever it is in a calendar year is knowing that it's okay to take the foot off the pedal when you're 50 minutes up because a manager, whether he'd like to or not, he can't take 11 players off the pitch. If he starts 11 guys, they can't all come off for a rest when you're five nil up at half time. Well, so if Klopp gets his way, I'm sure we'll be having 11 subs. <laughs> But, but yeah, I think it's a little bit of just growth professionally. Um, I do think you can see they're a little bit more inexperienced in it than they are in comparison to the other sides. And I think that showed against Wolves in, in the league on the weekend. I kind of felt like they took their foot off the gas a little bit, more so in the second they half. They definitely did. Obviously, yeah, the first 20 minutes, phenomenal, playing unbelievable football. Slowed down a little bit in the first half, but still dominated. But really the last half an hour of this game, there was a lot of sitting behind the ball and 2-0 and is not really a scoreline that you want to be doing that at. It felt there was a bit of complacency creeping in. I think um, Gabriel Jesus is just so pivotal to this team. There is no way Arsenal can win this league without him if he goes down like he did last year. There's there's no way they keep up the title fight if he goes down. More um, important than Saliba? Uh, I would say so, yeah. Uh, just purely in the fact that he creates so much. He just adds such a different X factor in the front third, even if he's not scoring. You saw some of his link-up play on the weekend. and His ball, his one-touch pass in behind, I think it was uh, Zinchenko whipped it into him with the one-two and then squared it back for Odegaard and Gabby has his involvement. His hold-up play for Saka for the first goal, things like that. Mm-hmm. He's just been... Yeah, definitely. He just adds such another dimension to their to their game that Enkedia just simply cannot provide, um, apart from just getting the the tap ins or poachers goals. So, mm. yeah, hugely pivotal. I think he's the main the main key to Arsenal going on with it. Uh, Brentford three, Luton one. I don't imagine any of us had an eye on this. Luton uh, after getting finally a winner a win at home, their first home win went away to Brentford, got done three one. Not a whole lot of excitement going on there. This one, Tommy. Burnley 5, Sheffield nil. I mentioned last week that Burnley, I mentioned it about Burnley and Sheffield, that neither of these two sides can afford to be just shipping goals so needlessly. And here we have two of the bottom teams and one of them cops five. This can't be happening. Needlessly such a great word because especially you gearing yourself up as Sheffield United in this big six-pointer at the bottom of the, at the table. 
And you're like, boys, just keep it tight. Like five minutes, yeah. maybe even a minute would have been enough. But to fucking cop one yeah. after 15 seconds, ridiculous. Cooper, did you have anything on this one? Burnley and Sheffield. I noticed, um, I don't know if he's still a bit of a fan favourite. I actually forgot he was still playing, but Jay Rodriguez popped up with a goal. Yes, yeah, 17 seconds into this one, of all things as well. How good. Um, real quick turn for the goal rush there. Um, no, Zeki Amduni, the striker that Burnley signed at the start of this season, mm. um, finally got a goal and assist. It's only his uh, third and fourth score involvements in 13 starts for Burnley. So if he can find a little bit of form, he can be important to their, their run home. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, definitely. I don't I don't see it happening, though. Um, the, the funny thing about Jay Rodriguez, you know, that wasn't even like the fastest goal that he scored in the Premier League. Uh, did he score one for Southampton that was quicker? He scored one for Southampton against Chelsea like 10 years ago in 13 seconds. Mm. That's just a ridiculously <laughs> quick amount of time. I think in football, it seems like really, really quick. And then you watch other, um, this is a tangent, but you watch the NBA and they have like, okay. there's four seconds left and they'll be like, oh, it's so much time. That's so much time. And then, You'll see them, and I'm in my head, I'm like, four seconds, like, throw it, catch it, shoot. And they're like, no, nah, throw it, catch it, throw it to someone else. He dribbles a couple of seconds, gets a shot up, and you're like, you can really make a lot happen. And so if you switch off for 13 seconds and Jay Rodriguez scores, you need to sort your life out, I think. <laughs> well, South, Southampton have, have an interesting history with fast goals, don't they? Because obviously Shane Long for Southampton has the fastest goal in mm. Premier League history, just under eight Obviously. seconds. And and Sadio Mane for Southampton, the fastest hat-trick in Premier League history. Oh, Sadio Mane, uh, what a time to be alive, watching Sadio tear up the Premier League instead of being a little Bayern simp. Uh, Forest <laughs> Everton won. I think the only reason I wanted to bring this up, I was nearly going to even start with this, Tommy, because one of the, I guess... In the recent weeks, we've seen so many of these are they or aren't they penalties with players mm. wrestling in the penalty box. Some have been much softer than others, but this is just blatant, like blatant fouling. So deliberate. Uh, it's probably cost Forrest what could be a valuable point, and it's given Everton three very valuable ones. Yep, three more fraudulent points than these guys deserve. I can't believe it's the Prem that's corrupt and this kind of thing is going in their favour. I'd... You know, we talk, We did talk at length about it because the City one um, we was really soft but still a foul. And I think we kind of came to the agreement, like, if you just gave these all the time, you would see defenders stop doing dumb shit like this in the box yep. where he is basically trying to swap shirts with him. I'm not – like, you surely just wait. I don't know why you'd want a shirt from Everton Forest, but Disgusting. just wait. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> what are the heights this guy's going to reach in his career? It's baffling to me that they didn't call it. The ref had a great view of it. And then again, it calls into question, what like, what is VAR looking at? Isn't yeah. that isn't that the kind of thing you would want to rewind and be like, hang on, let's stamp this this ridiculous behaviour out? If if um, I can just get this away from, from refereeing and, and VAR for a no, second with these, fuck the refs. with these challenges that we continually see and we continually are talking about off corners occurring, whether they're being giving up penalties or not, I'm interested to hear a take from both of you on this, specifically Tom. I think you're going to really enjoy this. I saw a thread about them on Twitter this week that 
Uh, three penalties have been given in the Premier League this season. Most recently, the one for City in the in the Manchester derby for for incidents like this. And mm. there are eleven that have been publicly or socially pointed out that haven't been given for incidents like this. Um, so fourteen in total. And on the occurrence of all fourteen, the team defending the corner were deploying a zonal marking system. And I just wonder how much these challenges are being made because defenders that are standing in the zone they're supposed to be playing in are just naturally panicking and just grabbing at a guy that's yeah. running past them, thinking that they shouldn't, I can't be going with him because I'm in my zone, but I also yeah. can't just let him run through. So I'm just grabbing onto him. How much of this do you actually think is down to zonal marking? Oh, that's, I reckon that's a great point. We're going to talk about zonal marking when it comes to Adelaide United too, but I reckon that's a great point, Coop. That sounds spot on to me. I'm not entirely sure. I just think it's so ingrained in the culture of football and the way that you defend set pieces that it's just going to happen. I don't know if it happens. Like, I think, yeah, yeah, whether you're zonal or you're man-to-man, like the grappling that goes on is just just ridiculous. And this one is just right in front of the referee standing right there. And like you said, Tommy, what is VAR doing if they can't pick that up? Like, it's, it's just so blatant. I'd be real dirty about it if I was a Forest fan. But also, you lost to Everton at home, so play better. It's a good point. Um, This one, cracking game, this. Or, I don't know, was it a cracking game? It felt like a cracking game. Um, Newcastle won, Man United nil. Just the one goal, quiet for this weekend. Uh, but I th- I found this pretty intriguing. I don't know how you guys saw it. Yeah, could have, should have been three or four. Um Absolutely. Yeah. Newcastle utterly dominant in this game and and a pretty poor week for Man United as in a whole. Absolutely. Um, going down to Galatasaray. Oh, they didn't go down to Galatasaray, did they? A draw in the three end. Or, three or um, draw with Galatasaray. I'm sure yeah. it feels like a, After it feels a two like a goal loss. lead. Um, Onana just with some of the more disgusting pieces of goalkeeping you will ever see in your life. And I, I use the word disgusting as violently and aggressively as I can. <laughs> it was, it was sickening. Is Cooper going to find an excuse for him, though? Goalkeeper's union and all that? What do you reckon? Oh, no, nah, I don't know. Did you see the video I sent in the group chat during the week of the two clowns fighting each other and it was like Onana versus Kelleher at Anfield <laughs> in three weeks' time? Golly. <laughs> uh, shocker. I just, I'm so glad the form team of November has finally been exposed. <laughs> like, it, it's just another Manchester performance, like, doing its best impression of one of those eight-hour slow-moving train programs on SBS. Mm. It's like there's some really beautiful moments. You get, you know, Garnacho doing bicycle kicks and Martial figuring out how to score goals occasionally. But fucking ultimately, you've spent a hell of a long time watching nothing happen. Yeah. I know we're all pretty out on, I know you especially, Tommy, and I'm a little bit behind you on the, the Saudi stuff going on with Newcastle. But I think we mentioned it last week, though, that St. James Park, um, when it's up and about and packed for these games, it just. It's what I love about football, seeing these sorts of games. Um, they had a big one during the week as well, Newcastle. They had PSG and were, are we all in agreement that they were absolutely robbed? I'm not sure if, if listeners haven't seen, I'm sure you have the highlights of this one and the, the penalty that was given at the end. In what planet can we be giving this a penalty? And it's just robbed Newcastle of a huge away win in Europe. You're talking about the Saudi aspect of it that totally turned me off the Newcastle project to begin with. Yeah. During this game, I was totally enthralled. Like I was on the Newcastle bandwagon for this. I just, I loved, I loved just the, the contest between the attacking team and the defensive team and how yeah. well they defended and how organized they were. And they stuck to their task. And it was just for them to be undone 
with a penalty like this where it is so clearly hit his chest onto his arm from, you know, a cross or a blocked shot from yeah. that, about two, three yards away. Deflected like, off even, of his body onto his arm. Hasn't even hit his arm directly. And we spoke about it at the time. We're like, I'm sure they changed this rule. Like, we're not across everything. I'm sure they changed this. The first thing I saw on X afterwards was, yeah, they fucking changed this rule to interpret this as to not be a penalty. So one of the more, it, it kind of, I'm not sure how big it is in England at the moment, This the controversy from it, but it kind of feels like it went under the radar a little bit. Like, this is a huge two points that Newcastle have dropped to be able to get out of this group stage. Uh, ma- like, massive. Massively wrong decision. Yeah, they're probably in the shit now, Newcastle. Um I mean, if if PSG who go to Dortmund on the on the last day of this group manage to beat Dortmund, then then Newcastle are done regardless of their result against Milan. They cannot get out of this group with a PSG win on the last day, um, and their fate ultimately should have been in their own hands. They should have been, I believe, I believe hosting Milan. That could be wrong. Um, on the last day of this group stage game, and and they should yeah. have had their fate in their own hands if if they were to to get a win against a choppy Milan team at, at St. James's Park, which we've spoken about being such a fortress for them, they would have been through to the knockout stage of the Champions League. And now it's very likely that they won't. And they've been insanely hard done by. And mm. not just this team, we've spoken about their depth for weeks, but but the way these guys set up behind the ball with, you know, 17-year-old Lewis Miley in midfield running defensive mastermind plays against a world-class midfield Tito Liveramento and Jamal Lachelle was obviously not first choice players across this back line for Newcastle either. They were they were excellent and so resilient and they did not deserve to to drop points in this game like they did. Definitely. Um Dortmund at home to PSG in that last game. Dortmund are already through. Um they would like top spot, but they also can't afford to be dropping points on the weekend in in Bundesliga games. So I can't see them going as full strength as possible and to likely only cop a defeat anyway. So I think Newcastle are in, tr- in trouble there. And they've been absolutely robbed. Um, mm. One of our loyal listeners, our old mate, nicknamed Toon. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to roll with Toon. He doesn't get it enough these days and he deserves it. Uh, sent me this this week. Where do you think this team would finish in the Premier League? Uh, and it's Pope. I think you'll see where I'm going with this. It's Nick Pope in goal. Manquillo, Botman, Byrne, Target. Longstaff, Anderson, Tonali. Murphy, Wilson, Barnes. You could also have Joe Willick in there. These are all injured Newcastle players at the moment. Where would that 11 finish in a Premier League? Probably a mid-table side. I don't think that team is is getting relegated or flirting with relegation. Um, but there's in in that 11 you've listed, there's there's so many, there's three or four really important guys that make this this first string Newcastle 11 that's running around at the moment a much better team. Tommy? I think pretty much exactly where they are. I think that's still finished sixth. There's like, you think so? Yeah, there's. I'm starting to come around more without to... Jolinton, without Ishak, without Trip. Yeah, no, no Trippier, no, no. So Ishak, is... no, no Bruno Guimaraes. I'm no talking Trippier. if this is the team that's out injured at the moment. Is there? Yeah, that's their best side. Where do they yeah. finish? You think so, Matt Target, Manquillo? I still wonder. Sixth. I still wonder if they'd be somewhere around where they are now because this. Okay. I'm starting to wonder if it's more of what's going on behind the scenes that's really fueling this because the amount of you know new players have kind of brought in during this injury crisis that have still performed to a level that has seen them sit sixth. Mm. You, like you start to wonder now, is that actually more of a whole club aspect rather than just having 11 really good players on the field? 
not you know it doesn't obviously work all the time but yep. given the teams below them and how inconsistent they are I, I wouldn't be surprised if they were sixth to eighth in this Premier League mm. yeah I, think- I went I went real harsh initially and said 15 to 18 mm. <laughs> and then I came around to about <laughs> I came around to uh, somewhere between nine to 13 uh Nick yep. who sent it in says top half challenging Europa or yeah that's no I can't I can't have agree with him it's too high, and, and the reason I think that is, and and the reason I think that Newcastle have managed to be so successful still at the moment is because although they have all these injuries, like such as a Spurs or a few of these other teams in the league do, the really important thing for Newcastle with these injuries is they've been really lucky in a sense of they've managed to keep their, like, what I'd call their spine of important players. Obviously, yeah. Pope is their first-choice goalkeeper started on the weekend. You could argue... He might be out for a while now. You could... You could argue Trippier is the most important defender in their team, still yeah. still running around. Joel Linton and Bruno Guimaraes, their two most important midfielders, still playing, and Alexander Ishak is their best forward, and he's <clears> playing <throat> yeah. every week. So I think yeah, that's sure. the reason that these guys have still been so successful. Um, what I who I did want to talk about really quickly, if if we can, yeah, um, go for it. against United on the weekend is how good Anthony Gordon has been for these guys. Yeah, uh, yeah, I had really this in my notes coming. <laughs> Coming in at the start of the season, I, I thought I've been was, so wrong, and I'm I'm happy to eat my words here. I've, I I really thought he was going to be a rotation same. guy for these guys, yeah, and same. that this was really going to be the season that we saw Harvey Barnes boom. Obviously, the, I just the thought Harvey, he was fucking shit <laughs> the whole time. Oh, I rate the Barnes. Obviously, the Harvey Barnes. Um, no, um, Gordon. no, Gordon. He's I saying thought, Gordon. Oh, Gordon. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, true. Not worth fifty the, million pounds. No way. The Barnes injuries hurt them and that's an incredible piece of depth I think when they come back because there's nothing saying that Barnes doesn't come back fully fit and play a whole season next season and do exactly what Anthony Gordon's doing now and if not better because he's shown in the past he can be excellent at Premier League standard but Gordon's got six goals and three assists in 11 games or something for for Newcastle and that's a phenomenal return for a winger in a in a team that's lacking depth at the current time because of injury. Mm, I think the better Gordon gets, the more punchable his face becomes. And he's very quickly ascending into like top 10, almost top five territory for me. But, you know, I like that he's playing with like all the enthusiasm of like a prime 21, 22 Rashford. Yeah. Um, I don't know where, what's his ceiling? Yeah, I, I yeah. don't know. I don't know how much better he gets. <laughs> this than- is it. It's um, as good as it gets. Is he there? Like, but we're not. We're not. Done, Christ- we're not. We're not at Christmas yet, and this guy has six goals. If he can score another two in the next four games, he's going to have eight goals at the midway point of the season. And and if, Wait, if this guy goes, out. if this guy goes on and scores fifteen goals by the end of the season, that's a phenomenal campaign. That Absolutely is good. Really yeah, it's pretty campaign good campaign for a yeah. Premier League winger. Um, and in a season that that Miggy Almiron, who hit the scene hard last year, has come all the way back down to earth and only has three score involvements in in the entire season so far. It's hugely important for Newcastle that this guy stepped up. Yeah, and they've they've picked up other players as well in the, at the attacking third that are contributing more as well. So less less on armor on there to to need to. Um, there you go, Newcastle fans. I think we've talked a lot about Newcastle in the last few weeks. I th- we're we're kind of enjoying the roller coaster a bit. Well, it's not really a roller coaster. We're just in, we're just enjoying enjoying the ride. Um, uh, I forgot what I was going to say. Oh yeah, behind Liverpool, I think. Uh, the biggest portion of fans in our listenership are Newcastle fans after Liverpool. So there you go. It's, we should keep talking about the black and white. Um, it's almost like we planned to do this. Yeah. Bournemouth <laughs> 2, Villa 2. 
I've just got in my notes here because uh, Solanke now has eight goals this season. We talked about him a little bit the other week after he's just started turning him in. Another great striker's goal on the weekend with the turn, perhaps not the best defending. Uh, but for Aston Villa, Leon Bailey has seven goals this season. Uh, I remember mentioning at the start of the season, I thought he was in a bit of trouble after not really performing last season. And then they went out and bought um, Musa Diaby from Leverkusen, his former teammate. And maybe the, maybe just perhaps the competition has been good for him and it's it's allowed him to kind of push on and pu- uh, push for better things. So seven goals this season after a not great return last season. He looks really deadly. Anything on this, either of you? Um, he'll be in this starting 11 soon, I think. And Nicola Zaniolo, um, we've spoken about a little bit on this pod, has come across the Villa and no score yeah. in 10 games so far. Massively disappointing. Um, so I think we'll be seeing a lot more of of a Bailey Watkins, Diaby front three for Villa. And, and they're humming. They're, they're looking really good. Obviously, they've had a few few slip-ups and injuries at the back and and they don't have their full-strength side because of it. But They should have won this game on the weekend. They, they should have, yeah. Oh, they had the yeah. chances. Planted in the top four now, though, and I think from the position they were in going into stoppage time, they'll be happy that they've picked up a point in this one. Absolutely. Brilliant header from Watkins, uh, equaliser there. Great goal. Another one of those uh, one of those Sunday night games that had the four goals in it. Uh, the next one was Chelsea and Brighton. This one had five goals in it. I don't know if either of you really want to talk about this. I've got no written here next to it when we we did our prep before the pod. But I think we all agreed this game was actually kind of dry and a bit dead. But um, I guess Brighton just sloppy and Chelsea scabbing goals off some corners and a and a counter-attack. Brighton got done the Adelaide United style where they're against 10 men and somehow got absolutely rinsed on the counter-attack for the third goal. Um, anything of note on this? Yeah, two two corners that went deep to the back post and back across goal and a penalty for, for Chelsea. It's, it's probably more, they'll take it. It's probably more of a blight on Brighton than anything. Pretty poor yeah. defending for, for all three goals. Um, The Fecundo Buonanate goal was, was a nice finish. He's, he's a good player when, when he's on it, but he's just not on it enough. And I think that is probably the way that you can sum up Brighton this season is they have so many really good players when they're at the races, but they're just way too often not there. Hundred percent. Chelsea having two captains consecutively sent off is amusing. Like yeah, this... who'd have thought? Who'd have thought a team full of wonder kids would struggle to find like a competent leader? This kind of Gallagher red card is disgusting. What What is he thinking? <laughs> what What are you doing? Lunging in from behind a player from behind, yeah, on a yellow card. Like you genuinely, he's either forgotten he's on a yellow or he's just a class A fucking idiot. And I think it's the second one. <laughs> he's he's set the tempo in this. Now he's tr- he's trying to get the boys up and about. All right, there's a hey. there's a victory to be secured here. You heard it here first, Conor Gallagher, class A idiot. Um, <laughs> sorry, Chelsea fans, we're gonna have to move it on there. I don't think I don't think we can give you too much credit for this win. Congrats on the three points, though. Um, Liverpool four, Fulham three at Anfield. What sort of ridiculous game is this? And what sort of ridiculous goals are we seeing? Alexis McAllister, what? A human. Um, I'm sure we're all gonna be frothing over Trent a bit as well. But Cooper, do you want to run us through this one? Yeah, um, Fulham really good. Um, really wow. Really, Not really where big, I thought you were gonna start. With really this. big tick for Fulham. Well, the one yeah, they lost. The the thing that I've said <laughs> threw away lead is that last ten minutes. Yeah, they threw away lead and. But their defensive structure, to come to Anfield and play with this defensive structure, but still counter as well as they did, was was so good from Fulham. Um. Liverpool have scored four screamers in this game. 
And the reason yeah. that they've scored four screamers is because four great hits, whatever, we'll get to them. But we could not break down this Fulham team at all. There wasn't a single moment bar bar the ball across. I can't remember. It might have been Costa Smikas that played it, but um, Nunez has to score. Um, yeah. but, but bar that one chance, not once did Liverpool really get in behind this Fulham, Fulham defence into a position that they could punish. Um, there was a real one that bobbled and bounced to Suller at the back post at the end of the game, and you expect a player of his quality to score from there. Um, it is an open goal, but it, I think it's a harder finish than it looks on the on the volley and on a real tight angle. Um, but four unbelievably good goals. Um, I don't know if you want to talk about Coivin Kelleher and the Allison injury or not in no. relevance to this game, but Kelleher was really poor in this one. Um, and this Allison injury... Is he at fault for any of the goals, though? Probably, probably the not. probably the second goal. Potentially the yeah, second goal. Yeah, I was thinking maybe. I think, he, one, I think he has to save the second goal. Um and I saw uh I or think it was Mike, at, at halftime Michael Owen said that if Allison was playing this game, Liverpool would be two 0 up right now. Um the first goal, not Kelleher's fault, but potentially Allison saves it. Allison definitely saves the second goal. Um and I just wonder this injury originally touted as as four to five weeks. Uh, when it first occurred, which would see Allison miss the the Manchester United game at, at Anfield, and then Liverpool's trip to to the Emirates to play Arsenal, which would be mm. two massive games in a title race. Um, mm-hmm. This game occurred on the weekend, and then all of a sudden, Allison appeared at training uh, this morning for Liverpool. Uh, he's back in training two weeks earlier than they originally thought, and now they're <laughs> saying that he might be back two weeks earlier than they originally thought. So I just wonder whether this is a case of. Hey, maybe uh, the injury wasn't that bad, or if or if the staff have watched this Kelleher performance on the weekend and thought, even if it means he misses two or three after the Arsenal game, we have to make sure that Allison's back for for United and Arsenal. What what about poor old Adrian in this entire scenario? Like so bad that he can't play in front of an injured Allison and a terrible Kelleher. I don't know if you remember Adrian's most recent oh, goal for Liverpool. Oh, I do. But the the utter Spanish hologram <laughs> that he turned into. Just, oh, mate. I just uh, the guy's like 37, isn't he? And he just, I'm sure he's absolutely thrilled to just still be on the books at somewhere like Liverpool. Is he that? Is he 37? He's old, isn't he? He's, he's very he's old. old, yeah. He's, he's 36. Been around as long as I can remember. Goalkeepers yeah. have this just... Obviously, we know they have this insane longevity. I did see during the week. They say was, that. Um, I'm starting to think it's not true. <laughs> well, there was a um. Be, this is a name for both of you. It's a it's a very FIFA player relevant name. I uh, will see if either of you remember him. But there was a game in Russia on the weekend with heavy snow, and one of the goalkeepers taking a goal kick stacked up a mountain of snow like it was a training cone and put the ball on top of it to take a goal <laughs> kick. And the ref the ref blew the whistle and had a hissy fit and made him take it off the. Off the snow cone, whatever. Oh. Apparently, you're not allowed to do it, but but who would have known? No sense of the context uh, of the game. But the goalkeeper was Eagle Akinfeev, um, which is a name that most people that have played a lot of FIFA or yeah. watched a lot of Champions League football will be familiar with for for probably 25 odd years now. <laughs> and I, I just couldn't believe that he was still getting around. <laughs> All right, we went from Liverpool, Fulham, and Anfield to Akinfeev kicking off of a snow cone in Russia. To great Russian keepers. This, if this isn't the best football pod in Australia, I don't know what is. I don't know where you're going to get content like that. Um, just quickly on this one, I think the the first, the Alexander Arnold, the free kick. I know it is technically an own goal. This is just these are the sorts of ones where it's that's so for betting on the keeper, isn't it? Yeah, that's for betting reasons. What do you mean for betting reasons? That they have to call it an own goal because it technically well, came off of the keeper to go into the back well, of the net. No, it was a, whereas it was, in every. 
It was a shot off target. Not everything is a betting conspiracy, this, Tommy. This, That's what this I mean, because it's friend, technically a shot off target. But I mean, well, the the ball doesn't go in the net without Trent Alexander Arnold. The ball the doesn't go in the net without Bert Leno, though. If you take if you take Leno out of the if Leno it's doesn't so die, unfair. if Leno it's such thinks, a great free kick. But if Leno thinks I'm not getting to this free kick and just stays planted, this ball doesn't go in the goal. Yeah, I don't think you can. It's so you want it just, to it be just feels. It feels really wrong to discredit the keeper <laughs> with an own goal there and not credit the guy yeah. who's hit a wicked free kick. Um, and the the winner, the winner, just showing um how old is Trent now? Twenty-eight. No, he's he wouldn't be. He's not twenty. He's been around for ages. Though. I'm looking at Cooper. 25. Cooper's at 25. Um just this composure in the front third that he's starting to get into his game as well. Um is he start starting to get? Is that too harsh or has he always had it? I, th- I think we've certainly seen more of it now that he's moved further into the midfield um, mm-hmm. and he's finding himself in this these positions more on, more often. He did against City last week, scored a nice goal, and then this one was great composure to win it in front of the cop. You love to see it. Um, good on him. Unless you don't like Liverpool, and then you won't like to see it. Uh, mm-hmm. Unless you're Fulham, and then you definitely won't like to see oh, it. Um, that. Yeah, good stuff. West Ham won, Crystal Palace won. From all reports, the most boring game of the weekend, and I don't have any notes on it. And I'm assuming neither of you do either. And you're both you're shaking your head. Cooper's just looking away from me. He's Cooper's not asleep at all. He's he's just he's off doing fringe stuff again. Uh, let's go. This final let's game of the round: Man City Spurs three three. Uh, Christ, Cooper, what have you got for us on this one? Six goals at the Eddie had. Yeah, um, should have been a lot more. City should have had this game dead and buried. Um, mm. If we're going to talk about strikers having nightmares week in, week out, and, and we're going to rinse them, um, Erling Haaland has had an absolute shocker in this game. Um, oh, I don't boy, know if either he? of you have seen the completely open goal that he missed. Yes, it's, I have. You know, just yeah. Uh, yeah. in utter shock when that missed. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you want to start from the beginning and just go. Well, on that, if I can, I'll just jump in here because I forgot to mention it when you, uh, we mentioned Darwin Nunez hitting the bar as well with that shot he should have scored. And Erling Haaland is number one on the list for big chances missed in the Premier League. I don't know the exact metric or on how they work. it. I'm sure they have some sort of system for working it out. But Erling Haaland is number one with 15 big chances missed. And then, Tied for second is Darwin Nunez and Ollie Watkins with 13. I guess the difference is Watkins and Haaland are allowed to be there because they're scoring lots as well. Um, And Mm -hmm. Haaland does score lots, but every now and again, you're going to get a game like this. Uh, Pep talked about it in his post-game press conference and just said the guy's just obviously he's a wild player and he's just a human though. And this is just one Mm -hmm. of those days. I've read an interesting thing with this. If that Haaland is going to miss this many big chances, does he need to be doing more? Off the ball, does he need to be actually involved in this game at all? Like, well, I don't he's scored with that. fifty goals already. It's true. It's in a true. season and a bit, and it's he's true. You know, but let's forecast. You know, he misses fifteen chances in fourteen games, so you can say he misses one big chance a game. Misses thirty-eight big chances over the course of a season. City miss out on the title by what three points, six points? Do you start to wonder? No, you don't, start to criticize, you don't start to criticise the guy that's bagged fucking 30 or 40 <laughs> goals in a season. That's not why you do it. Yeah, no, I think no. I, I think this comes back to to what I was on what I was saying at the start of the year and, and obviously mm. tainted and, and as we've spoken about since wrong, that, that Harlan doesn't make this city side worse. Um but what they've 
clearly gone and done is they've gotten the best finisher in the world, one of the best finishers we've ever seen, and they've planted him up front in a team that doesn't need him. And, and the glory of yeah. that is is they don't need him to do anything else. They need him to sit on the end of these chances and just and finish them. And and you know what? No one's perfect. They're not going to finish every single chance that's handed to them. And there Speak are other players yourself. in this in this game that that should have scored for City. And and there are moments where City shouldn't have conceded in this game. They should have won this game regardless of of Harland. Mm, absolutely. And yeah. and how more often this guy is going to be the reason that they win games than he's the reason that they don't win games. Um, and that's why he's so important to them. And he, he just gives them so much on the end of this play. But at times I notice he gets frustrated and he comes in and he tries to involve himself more in the play. And I just feel like it hinders City more than it helps them because I just don't think that that his footwork and his passing is is quick enough to drop into the midfield and go and go with the likes of, of Julian Alvarez and Bernardo Silva trying to, and Phil Foden trying to link up really fast. Um, and I think that's where Doku has fit into this side really well and that he seems to to know his place and he just loves to sit wide. And if those guys are, are going at it and they're going zip, zap, zoom in the midfield with his passing, he just stays out there. But when they give him that that early ball and let him go to work, that's when he does their work. And, and Harlan's yeah. the same. When when they give him the ball on a platter, he, he nine times out of 10 scores, but they don't need him to drop in because they're good enough without him. Well, that's the thing Henri always used to say about Pep is that he would tell him just to stay wide, stay wide, stay wide. And it doesn't, you know, you can be the best footballer in the world like Henri was, or you can be Jeremy Doku who's trying to make his name in the game. If you actually comply to the way Pep wants to play football, like you're going to have a really good season. You're going to have good output, especially if you've got some talent, which, you know, Henri obviously didn't. Doku does too. I thought overall this was game of the season. Um, I don't know what you guys thought. Hard to argue maybe now that this isn't the premiere Barclays fixture, uh, as opposed to the the dross we saw last week with Liverpool and City, this is this was much better. I think importantly, uh, particularly from a Spurs point of view, the guys popping up with goals there, Kulisevsky sneaking one late, but Lo Celso contributing on the score sheet too. and much much needed. From he's been at uh, he's been on the books at Spurs for a few years now, but he spent. I think he spent a season on loan at Via. I want to say Villarreal. Villarreal, yeah. Uh, he was in Spain. I'm, it might have been Villarreal. Um, but yeah, just starting to contribute with a couple of goals here and there now. So uh, I feel like Ange needed it. Um, probably wasn't expecting it, or it, I guess they weren't favoured to get it, or that it was like the end of the world if they didn't win. Everyone would have thoroughly expected them to lose against City anyway. Uh, but they've managed a point and just maybe that's a big confidence boost for them going forward. Mm, especially with the naivety that they have been accusing Spurs of too, especially in the, yeah. the past games against big teams. Yeah. Well, Spurs in recent years, even prior to Ange, have had such success against Manchester City in the Premier League. They've continuously yeah. been one of probably four or five teams that have that have gone to, to the Etihad or they've invited City to their ground and they've gone at them. They weren't afraid of them and... And it's it's usually Liverpool, Spurs, um, Palace, and then I have I've obviously Brentford have done it before, and then I have vivid memories of of Wolves, and then a random Leeds team in the twenty 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 one Premier League season. Um, there was nothing random uh, about that, my guy. Do you want? Can we talk about this actually? Now well, that you've brought up the, the just, Leeds anyway, I'll continue behind continue. closed doors during COVID. Just what a memory! New shot, Bielsa ball at full effect. No one's asking. <laughs> I'll push on where I was going though. Is that these teams are the ones that that will go at City, 
And how often do these teams that the go at City get a result? And I just wonder if they're not defensively inept because they have great defenders and, and they're definitely good at the back. But whether they're set up more to their back four is set up more to possess and keep the ball than it is to defend a team that's coming at them. And that's why these teams that go at them have such success. And I just think, you know, Leeds in, in 21, in, in 2020, 21 Leeds beat Man City 2-1 at the Etihad and then had a one-all draw at Ellen Road against City. The season after they lost 4-0 at Ellen Road and 7-0 at the Etihad. Um, mm. But is there any difference between losing seven nil to city and losing two nil to city parking the bus like is it worth if you if these teams have proven that by going at them you can you can find goals and you can potentially get a result is it worth just having a go at them yes if you're a team if you're a team like spurs and you're probably capable of snagging a few if you're in a dogfight down the bottom i think you take your medicine and you try to stop it for as long as you can Mm. you might need those you might need those goals to keep you up True. Yeah, that's a nice that's a nice consideration. If you're Luton or you're Sheffield or you're Burnley, for example, yes, maybe. But in that uh, season, especially was, if you're Sheffield, <laughs> yeah. In that season, Cooper's talking about Leeds finished, I think, ninth, and like they actually performed not too bad, and they held their own against good teams. For this, it, I thought it was extremely cool to see Ange do this, like actually go head to head. I have the quality of you know the caliber of player to be able to attack City, and like he kept three forwards up most of the time, and that. That's a really cool idea, especially because, like Cooper was saying, City, they play a possession-based game, so they want they expect teams to do low block and defend against them. So they want guys that can progress the ball as opposed to guys that can turn and chase. And, like, the City defensive line isn't the fastest defensive line in the league at all. Like, you wouldn't point out really one of them that covers the ground as fast as some of the best wingers in the league. And so that's why I thought it was a great idea that Ange actually went at them and attacked them. City are so reliable upon this this inverted this inverted defender playing as a midfielder, and at the moment it's it's Man- Manuel Akanji. We've seen Arsenal do it with. He's doing it well. As Liverpool well. do it with Trent. Yeah, he is. Um, but with what you're saying about um, sorry, Ange leaving three players forward is when you leave three players forward, it means that City can't just have three at the back. Mm. Akanji, who wants to run into that midfield, who wants to push forward, he can't because he has to show some defensive accountability. And I think that's one of these dominant teams that are ganging up on these minnows by playing that extra midfielder and just absolutely dominating that ball. It's the only way for these teams to to counter this inverted midfielder is to make sure that whoever that guy is has to be defensively accountable. And if he's not defensively accountable, then you see what happens on the break. This this song here, Mingol, this first one in the game, mm. uh, six minutes in, counter-attack, Edison should save it. I think he'd be disappointed that, that this has gone in. Um, yeah, sure. But Son is what one on one, sort of a second defender there, maybe, but mainly but not covering. Mainly one on one, and the defender with him is Doku. Where are the four guys at the back for City? Why is Doku one out? Whether it's <laughs> come from obviously a counter attack from a set piece, and you've got some forward, but this has also come because Akanji is just so pressed, so pressed, so high, and all four of these defenders because they just. They think they're bulletproof. This, this, and and ninety percent of the time yeah. they are. But this is where you can catch these teams out, thinking that they're bulletproof and get at them. And Docker is never beating Son one on one defensively. Well, never. we, I think we saw what Pep did with Bayern when they started playing two five threes and shit like that. That he's not immune to this kind of thing. And I don't think that you can discount Pep's own ego as well. And I reckon he sees 
Ange Postacoglu, who's been lauded in the media for three months now with his job he's done at Spurs. I think he comes up against him and thinks, okay, look, we're gonna just yeah. we're gonna try and play the best brand of my game and we're gonna see it win against his and shut him up. I agree with you. And that's yeah, that's why yeah. you see that. Yeah, Do you want he's... to talk about your mate, the biggest twat in the world on the Guardian podcast during the week, just being an absolute flog talking about oh. Ange, Tom? Did you see this, Sammy? No, I haven't listened to the Guardian football pod for a long time because they just shit me to tears these days. Mm. Yeah. Not necessarily my mate, Johnny Liu. And I, I guess Bunny, uh, Bunny Runny had a little go at him as well in the most recent one. They're, the English are not happy with Andrew's shtick at the moment. They think it's all an act. They think his Aussie persona is letting him skate through uh, hard questions or whatever. This is just proper right colonialist bullshit. Like these guys are trying to shoot down actually someone that wants to come into the league. And it's akin a little bit to Bielsa as well, but the same conversations that they had around them the naivety of actually going into a football match to win it by playing attacking football. Yeah. The most bizarre shit I've ever heard, but Johnny Liu just went nuts on him. Yeah. Well, this is, this is what it is, isn't it? This is the, the Brexit brand hate of managers yes. that come into the premier league with tactics that are different. They, <laughs> yeah. these, these people, these Johnny Liu and, and the two blokes doing this on the guardian during the week and all the other people that have ragged on Ange are happy to sit here for the next 70 odd years or 50 odd years or however long, long they live. And they want to watch premier league football where teams go to the Eddie had scared. They want to watch 50 years of that for the next 50 years. Park the bus at city. Well, who has that worked for? What I'd love to look at the teams that have been relegated every year in the last six or seven years of city dominance and, and have a look at how they played at the Eddie had and what the result they got was. And I just, it's terrible. And it, this is perfectly, I couldn't have summed this up any better. Um, and Tonus also retweeted this, Tom, and he said, we don't know him, says man, before going on a minute rant, talking about what we know about Ange Postacoglu and the characterizing it as bullshit. If in the year 2023, you don't understand where Ange Postacoglu is coming from, then you're probably not trying hard enough to have your own footballing podcast. Yeah, that's probably it. I mean, the guy's got a whole two-part Australian story about him. Like, it's not hard to figure out what his story... Like, if you want to do... If you're a journalist and you've got an hour to kill, maybe just watch that because it pretty much goes through his entire life. Like, it's not a difficult thing to find. Um, it's just... it's. I mean, we're obviously going to back up Ange, aren't we? Because we like him and he's Australian and he's doing and good I, things. I just, but, yeah, just the outward hate that the guy's copying at the moment for just being a normal individual, maybe. This, to, this just all just comes back to it's just snobbery, yeah. and this Which always comes back snobbery. to the the English football media and their I guess their gatekeeping of their league and stuff well, like that. You know, it's it's not even their league. It's it's honestly it's the sport and it's the way you the part of this that I loved was when he said when uh, Ange was saying that you know I was playing for for South Melbourne and, and we'd go out there and we'd play. Right, sorry, I'd manage at South Melbourne. We'd play a game. And then we'd all, it'd be wrapped up and then we'd go back in and, and both teams would sit down and have a, have a nice home cooked meal together and, and watch Johan Cruyff on the TV. And that's how I grew up with this game. And, he, and yeah. Johnny Lee was going, that's bullshit. So, you know, that's not bullshit. That still it's happens in this country. You still get Literally two teams play a game each other in the MPL and they'll go inside. They'll all have a meal together and, and yeah. they'll watch a, they'll watch a game on the TV. And that is what football and culture in this they, country is. But it's English people refusing to believe that any culture exists for the sport outside of their own. Right, this is this is uh, a build on this is the Premier League. This is Premier League pedestal myth creating bullshit. Um, I'll I, I'll recommend it again. 
the book by uh, John Nicholson called Can We Have Our Football Back? I think that's what it's called. Um, I'll lend that to you, Tommy. A, a brilliant mm. read. I'll lend it to you, Cooper. I think you'll love it. Um, yeah, it's but fantastic. Just talking about this whole myth of putting the Premier League on this pedestal that it's like it's above everything else. And it's essentially just completely, it's so far, we're on a tangent now, but we're like, it's so far removed from uh, working class roots of the game. And so to these people in the Premier League media, media, the idea that growing up in somewhere like Australia where you play football and then at night, you stay up all night and watch games and watch and the watch Premier it. League and, and or you watch guys in Europe playing. Like that is hundred percent a thing. And for them just to completely dismiss that just shows how ignorant and um and I guess defensive unnecessarily that they are of their league. Oh, it's nuts because you saw during the World Cup that there were thousands and thousands of people in public spaces in Australia watching at two in the morning the Socceroos. And then you you can't comprehend somehow that that's the, that's our football culture. That's the way that we engross the game. We play yeah. our local stuff. We assume it, and then we go and watch Europe in the evening because we have the luxury to do it. Can you imagine if we told these these same people that are saying these things about Ange that during the World Cup, um, everyone saw the scenes when Lecky scored the goal in, in Fed Square and thought, "Fuck, that's where I want to be when we play Argentina, just in case." Mm. just in case something nuts happens and so there were people in this country that spent money and traveled from wherever they came from in australia to melbourne further travel than most premier league teams will go on their furthest away day in an entire season traveled further to watch the game quickly about man united having their flight cancelled to newcastle for fuck's sake and they had to take a three-hour bus and all of a sudden, everyone's hands are in the air like, what is going on? Three-hour bus, but there's people travelling from Perth to to Melbourne, spending hundreds and hundreds of dollars and getting on a plane for God knows however many hours that is to watch a game with other Australian football fans on a fucking screen in the middle of a town square. These people would have a fucking hissy fit if they heard that. You can't <laughs> even drink even a, a good screen. You can't even drink a fucking beer in the terraces in England. You don't know what culture is. <laughs> Fuck off. The amount of goals these guys miss because they're rushing down to the bar at 43, 44 minutes to get a beer in is ridiculous. You guys don't know football culture. All right, let's bring it back to some football. Uh, that's it for the Premier League for this week. Um, Tommy, you told us the other day you were going to talk about France, but yeah, you? Well, you you sent me to France, and what I saw was Newcastle getting robbed. So it kind of turned me off in a sense. Oh, okay. Um, well, okay. Look, I'm there. PSG won. Nice lost. Title race is over. So I don't know why you sent me. <laughs> well, I sent you. Well, <laughs> No, you don't. I don't know why you guys sent me across to France, all expenses paid. Uh, well, I you had a great trip. You but... told us in the group chat that you wanted to cover France this week on the pod, and then this is what you're giving me PSG one. Title race is over. No, 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 no. The big news, the big news. He's going to make something up now, everyone. No, I'm not making anything up. Uh, who's sitting at the foot of the table right now in France? Anyone can tell me? Uh, the foot at the bottom, Lyon. Yeah, it is Lyon, just below yeah. Clermont Foot, which no, I yeah. don't think yeah. uh, who Who lost their job? This week, Sammy. Uh, Fabio Grosso. Oh, my Fabio Grosso. No way. Yeah. Unbelievable. So you're trying to tell me that a professional cheat has been able to make his way as a football manager? Could have fooled me. Could have fooled me, guys. One, one victory. Yeah. A club with this storied history, with a women's team that is so much more fabled than the men's team, right? Like, you may as well just disband the men. They should just be Leon women. 
we did talk Grosso a few weeks ago. So essentially you've just recycled what we've already talked about and claimed it as the, your takeaways from France this week. Well, he's been sacked now, so I'm just, you're, you're telling me just that reiterating Sam, the fact. Sam and I reached deep into our pockets and sent you all expenses paid all the way to France, <laughs> and you came back to tell me about something that happened in 2006 or 10 or whatever the fuck it was. <laughs> uh, you were just a glint in your father's eye, weren't you, Cooper? No, uh, I'm no. still dirty on Lucas Neal for sliding. Anyway, uh, other leagues, if I can, quickly, in Germany, uh, Stuttgart, Leipzig, both got wins. These are the top four teams. So Bayern and Borussia Dortmund had a one-all draw, uh, which leaves Bayern three points ahead of... Uh, sorry, Lever- leaves Leverkusen three points ahead of Bayern. Bayern have a game in hand now. Their game against Union Berlin was postponed on the weekend due to bad weather. Maybe they didn't want uh, people kicking balls off of snow cones. Who knows? Um, but this is a really frustrating one where I think I would almost rather Dortmund have lost this because this is something I always talk about with this league, and this is the way we talk about it with France, is the teams that are challenging cannot afford to take points off the other teams that are challenging. It's like True. they okay, all yeah. need it's like they all need to pick a team to lose to to let beat Bayern, you know? <laughs> and if all of these teams, so Bayer Leverkusen, Stuttgart, Leipzig, Dortmund, they all are going to continuously take points off each other. Bayern probably beat them all, and then that's that's the way they end up winning the league. The other teams can't just can't match the consistency of points. So it was really frustrating. Um, I uh, can I quickly I actually scored late. I actually watched this game. Um, Did you? I don't Whoa. watch. We've been, I Hold on. Wow. Um, no, I've I've watched a lot of Leverkusen this year, partly because they've been super entertaining, partly because. I have. I've t- Taken their handicap as a bet in most games. Uh, okay. But um did they absolutely slaughter Dortmund in this game? Yeah, just Dortmund all over good. them. Um this Dortmund, <laughs> this Dortmund goal though. Top of the champions. Uh, the, the Dortmund goal in this game, uh Ryerson scored Re- was, a, was a fantastic goal. Mm. Um really, really good team move. Um Florian Verts had a had a really good goal disallowed. He won a Bundesliga player of the month, I believe, last month, and he's been a really yeah, good gun. Form. Yeah. Um and then Boniface scored at the end of this game. He's oh Boniface. Yeah, he seems to just keep popping up and scoring goals. But yep. I, I just wonder whether Leverkusen are just a level above the rest of these teams that are chasing Bayern. They were really unlucky not to win this game and they should have won this game. And they may be consistently good enough to to beat these teams. Yeah, maybe. I don't know if uh, Leipzig have been patchy, but I think Leipzig's best is probably uh, right up there with Leverkusen and Bayern. Uh, it just remains to be seen what these teams can all do when they face each other. I think, did did Leverkusen beat Bayern early in the year? Or did they I draw? think they did, yeah. No, they drew. They drew. Because they they're, they're both drew. unbeaten. Yeah, yeah, they're both unbeaten. Um, we've done league. Uh, Serie A, not a whole lot to talk about this week. I didn't see a heap of it, but... Um, my note here was that Inter beat Napoli 3-0 away. So, obviously, we know about Napoli's their slide this season. They haven't been able to back it up after winning the league. But Inter are just in cruise control. But the note I have here is that Barella scored his first goal of the season. And this team is already flying. And if Barella, who has... Barella was unbelievable last year. He was one of my favourite players in the world to watch. Um, such an exciting centre midfielder with so much to his game. Uh, but he's only had the two assists and now his first goal this season. So they've been cruising along already without him. Imagine what they're going to do. If he starts turning it on, I fear for everybody in Syria. 
Yep, they're going to lose it. Uh, you don't reckon Juventus can keep up? I mean, they're holding pace right now. Juventus are holding pace. Juventus are a lot shakier. They got a, like a 94th or 95th minute penalty to beat Monza away uh, to get out of jail, but mm-hmm. um, uh, not a penalty, sorry, just a late goal. But yeah, I don't know. They they seem, Inter seem a much better team. Yeah, Inter, yeah. In, Inter double the goal difference of Juventus only just over a third of the way through the season too. They yeah. seem to be winning games the a lot more convincingly. Is, the trouble will be... It's it may it could end up coming down to the fixture between Juve and Inter, uh, in a sense of they don't use goal difference. It's your head to head comes before goal difference. So if Juve were to beat Inter, and they both finish on the same amount of points, then Juve would win the league. Uh, but as it stands at the moment, Inter are two points ahead. Uh, Milan are still in the mix there. They're they're six points behind though, four points behind Juve. They had a three 0 win on the weekend. Pulisic scored a nice goal. He is he's probably been Milan's best attacker this season. You know, mm, he's flying, he looks, isn't he? He looks he looks much fresher uh getting that move away from away from Chelsea. Um he's he's been good. A nice goal on the weekend. And Luka Jovic, who I talked about last week, finally got his first goal for Milan after all this time. So there you have it. Roma. I think that's a wrap. Roma up into oh, the top four as well. Napoli, yeah, out. there it is. Do we think? Well, I just, I just wonder the Napoli slide. We speak about it, but it's a bit more dramatic than than we probably give it the, the, the credit for. They could potentially, you know, not even be in the Champions League next season at this point after coughing up a really good opportunity to make a Champions League final and pretty dominantly winning the league. So it's they could. Drop. I, I think they'll be fine. I think they will. Uh, will they be fine for? Champions they'll finish League, fourth, actually? won't they? They'll finish. I don't fourth. know. Roma are Roma do look the next best side. I think it's definitely clearly into a Juve, and then it's clearly Milan. Milan. And yeah. The form Roma have been in is um, you know, they've just they've come from relegation fight to fourth in like a month or two. Um, Napoli are still they just they feel, I feel like they're better than the teams that are below them still. Uh, Atalanta are not the same team. They got belted on the weekend by Torino. Lazio are so up and down and mostly their best, not as good as past seasons. Fiorentino are having a, a good season, but I think they're playing above themselves. So, uh, yeah, the, the top four as it is at the moment and Napoli are the, just, that's it. Tommy, Tommy won't have get... seen it, but uh, but Rasmus Christensen scored the, the worst game-winning uh, goal you've ever seen in your life for Roma on the weekend. Uh, it was disgusting. It did. I can't believe that he's gone there and gets minutes. I it just yeah, he, well he won a penalty. The mind man, he won a penalty for the first goal that Dybala scored, and then he he whacked a shot from the edge of the box that hit a defender, flew up in the air, and looped over the keeper and bounced in. It was, it was I'd rough. rather I'd rather have Ryan Kiddo at fullback than Rasmus Christensen. Mm, there you go. On that note, we might wrap it up there. We're going to record a red edition that's going to come into your feed soon. Adelaide with a bit of a, a topsy-turvy fixture away to the cowbell idiots at MacArthur. Uh, eventually a 4-3 loss there. But um, stay tuned. Thanks for your support. Keep getting around it. Get around us on the socials. Share the pod. Um, enjoy your week. See you later. <laughs>